they're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Orville and Christopher Dean. Alex Philodeau. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely. She's got it. Yes! Sally Stegel, 132.67 has won at least the medal. She's 0.24 of beauty. On the ice with the Gimlet. The Gimlet scoping. Sidney Crosby, the golden goal. These golden games have their crowning moments. It is Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you once again for another interview episode, episode 130. Just seems like yesterday we did our 100th episode, but we've got a massive chat for you today with two people. We love these dual guests when we get them on the show. We've only done it once before, of course, just before Tokyo when we spoke with, of course, Jaden and Connor for about wrestling. This time around, we're speaking about curling one of my favorite sports and our first ever time we've spoken to australian curlers that is right we have tally gill and dean hewitt two people who could create history in a matter of months as australia's first ever olympic curlers they are on the cusp of qualification for beijing should they do it it will be the first time australia has ever been represented in the sport of curling at a winter olympic games and this is a fascinating chat because tally and dean not only are they there to make up the numbers should they qualify they'll be there with a genuine medal shot they finished fourth in the mixed doubles curling world championships back in 2019 finished in the semi-finals of course and went on to lose the bronze medal game but still a top four for australia in curling is absolutely incredible so tally and dean talk about that experience how they got in involved in the sport, what they actually have to do to qualify for Beijing and just everything else in between. Some fun chats here in regards to just the parental connection for both of these people. And Dean also talks about the fact that although Australia has never, of course, competed in curling at the Olympics, we sort of have in a weird way, sort of. We have, but yeah, you'll, you'll understand it during this interview. So stay tuned, get excited and listen right now to our chat with Australian curlers Tyler Gill and Dean Hewitt. I'm very excited for our next guest here on Off the Podium today. I have famously many times said that I want to be an Olympian. And I've always said that the one sport that I am going to do it in is curling. And I've always said that I would be Australia's first ever representative in the sport of curling. I've been saying that now for about a decade and I've made absolutely no progress. But our next guest today have made progress. They are on the cusp of becoming Australia's first ever representatives in curling at the Olympic Games and they've done so well on the world stage and I'm so excited to learn about their journey to where they are today to how they are going in the lead up to a potential spot at Beijing. I have Tali Gill and Dean Hewitt on the line. Guys, it's a pleasure to welcome. Tali, I'll say to you, first of all, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to uh, have you on off the podium today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. And Dean, for yourself, I'll say it's a pleasure, even though I did read you're an Essendon supporter, so I'll, I'll, I'll let that slide, first of all, as I do welcome <laughs> you straight away to the show. Uh, thanks for having us. I appreciate it. Now, Tali, could I, do I check uh, you an Essendon supporter too? Do I need to tread lightly around the Essendon mm-hmm. jokes on the show today? Or uh, No, all good with me. I'm, I'm from Queensland, so um, don't follow the AFL as much as Dean, but yeah. Right. 
Okay. Just every just whoever. <laughs> yeah, just when Brisbane are winning and when Gold Coast maybe win a game or something along yeah. those lines. So it kind of goes that way. But I mean, I, I feel I actually have to apologize to all Australian curlers out there for the fact that I have made this comment for years saying that ah, curling's the easy sport. I'll make it into the Olympics in that because having um seen it now live and uh, had a few curlers on this show and uh, gotten a bit more into the sport than I was maybe 10 years ago, I realize it's a stupid thing to say because because curling is a lot more in-depth and a lot more difficult than I think uh, people like myself and many other people realise. But I guess we'll start off with the basics. How do you guys get into curling? I'm going to start with you, Dean, because you're, you've got a bit of a history, I think, in this sport, which is quite interesting, because even though I say Australia's never been at the Olympics in curling, they kind of have, because your dad kind of did compete for Australia at the 92 Olympics, didn't he? Yeah, so back in 92, um, curling was still a demonstration sport, so... Um, dad and mum actually taught me. So mum is originally from Canada and she met dad who's Australian and taught him. So they naturally brought me up with curling all around myself. And, um, yeah, basically coaches for me all through my junior career. And then I kind of progressed from there. Tali, for yourself, I, uh, saw that it was a similar story. Your, your mum was into curling, got into curling. And I believe she got into it after watching it on TV at the Olympics. Is that correct? Yeah, so that's kind of where it all started for me. She saw it on the Olympics, wanted to give it a go, and she did, liked it ever since, and then um, sort of got me into it, and I was the same. It's easy to fall in love with curling, so, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I always find that the Winter Olympics are always so fascinating because these are the sports as Australians we, we don't see, we don't know much about these sports so I can imagine for, for your mum there Tali again to kind of see this sport and go wow what is this I mean was it a simple case in of falling in love with it seeing it and then making a phone call to the local rink and go hey do you guys do curling and it was kind of the rest is history yeah so she was a ski instructor and I at the time was a figure skater so I guess in a way we kind of always were around winter sports um, which is a little bit bizarre living in Queensland but <laughs> um yeah so she called the rink and was like you know, I really want to try curling do they have curling here and uh there wasn't at the time so they sort of directed her where they I don't know how they got rocks at um another rink in Queensland Acacia Ridge um I think it was from they were from Melbourne yeah, we um, sent them up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so they had curling rocks in Queensland and basically she got in touch with a few other really keen people um, who were Canadian and American who wanted to also start up curling as well and they sort of started it up together in Boondall. Dean, I'm intrigued. So uh, given that your mum's from Canada got your dad into it, I mean, was this just kind of one of those things that when a, a couple gets together, it's forcing your interest onto the other person? Or was your dad legitimately like, hey, this is interesting. I want to take this up. It's an interesting question. I actually asked him that. Um, but I think naturally mum wanted to have a little piece of Canada in her when she came over to Australia. So, um, you know, her, her friend group was all around curling originally. Um and they kind of have a Canada club over here. So, yeah, it was kind of a way to her, for her to make some more friends. And um, and Dad, I think, was roped along initially, but he, he seemed to like it. He was a natural athlete and he was a really good cricketer at the time and he slowly evolved into a curler more than a cricketer in the end. I have to ask, where in Canada is your mum originally from? 
He's in Winnipeg, so ah. the ideal place for curling because there's not not much else to do. <laughs> well, I, I was I was going to say so. Uh, our our co-host on the show, uh, Colin, is from Winnipeg, and uh, I know through his uh, curling interviews he did with Jill Officer and Mike Harris, sort of talked that up, and has always talked about the esteemed history of curling in winnipeg i've been there a couple of times i mean it's it's a it's a city let's just say that uh it's it's it's, it's not that bad uh, i don't want to bag out on winnipeg today not being that cruel essentially but it i mean for you both of you then to sort of have that stock coming from your parents and kind of go into that i mean tyler you said you were a figure skater what kind of then led on the change from from figure skating to curling because i mean that's sort of two sports that i guess outside of the fact that they're both winter and they're both on ice aren't really mm-hmm. that related so how do you kind of take off the skates and uh pick up the rock yeah so for a while i was doing both um because i started curling at about 12 and it was somewhat easy to continue on with both because um, when you're in juniors, you sort of, especially in Australia, you sort of only have like one competition um, that you're sort of training for. But um, I guess for me, just stopping skating was a few factors, just sort of fell out of love with it and um, sort of just grew more towards curling. And it's kind of reached the point where it's like, oh, just make the decision between two sports if you wanted to go a bit further in them. So, yeah, chose I chose curling. <laughs> and how many people were curling? I, as you kind of said about winter sports in Queensland doesn't really fit that well. I can imagine that curling in Queensland fits even together less. I mean, that, that would have been, I can imagine, a very small group of people at that stage. Yeah, um, it's probably smaller now. Um, but oh, I'm not sure how many. I would say there's probably 50 members or so, maybe. Wow. That's amazing. Not all of them go curling every Wednesday night, but um, it's definitely a small a small community. And Dean, was that a similar thing, sort of in Melbourne? I mean, was it was there a little bit more given a, a bigger city and maybe I don't know in terms of facilities at the time. Obviously, you've got the Ice House now, so things are a little bit different. But back then, when you were doing that, were similar numbers? Yeah. Um... Until the Ice House opened, it was definitely smaller. Um, since it opened, we're kind of going a little bit under and, and over probably about 50 to 100 people um, membership-wise. And I think across Australia, we've got around about 200, 250 members. So you look at that compared to some clubs in Canada, and that doesn't even equate to a club. So we're a very small, close-knit group um, and spread across Australia. So we don't get a whole lot of ice time. And I think that's one of the um, main restrictions on the whole thing, uh, considering we only get really one night of curling in these cities per week during winter. It, it's pretty minimal. In terms of the same question I asked Atali, sort of that exposure for you when you were young, uh, was it just a case of the parents do it, I'm going to do it too? Or is this just something your mum does? First, your dad, you're doing curling. And now you as a kid, Dean, you're doing curling. Yeah, I think I just grew up around it. And I think I naturally just gravitated towards it. You know, I was five months old and I was going to world championships to watch dad. So, um, yeah, basically it was just surrounding me and I really enjoyed it and did all I could to um, get on ice. And I think the whole community that we had in Australia at the time, and we still do, um, was so great. And um, just the whole camaraderie you can have between the players, I think was just so fascinating amongst the sport and kind of a bit unique, you know, going up to the bar after after a game and, um, yeah, just enjoying each other's company. 
Which I think the fascinating thing through Colin's interviews with Jill and particularly Mike Harris, of course, got a silver back in Nagano, was that kind of perception that curling is kind of the, the unfit sport. Like it's just, you know, bigger people can play it and drink beer and kind of all that sort of stuff. But I mean, learning through those interviews, it's clearly not the case anymore. I mean, you guys are some of the fittest athletes out there when it comes to some of these winter sports. I mean, is that something that, I'll start with you, Dean, that kind of still in Australia where, again, this is a sport where we only ever see on our TV screens every four years during the Winter Olympics, that that is that common misconception that when you're telling people, hey, I'm a, I'm a curler, I'm a nationally, internationally, you know, ranked curling player, that you kind of got to buck that trend that people think that. Yeah, for sure. Um, we're still kind of known by some, from some people as janitors on ice. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's hard to kind of get away from that stigma. Um, for years it was, you know, that, that drinking game and smoking on ice and it's changed so much. And I think that's a natural evolution of sport and being an Olympic, an Olympic event, you know, that just brings the whole physical side into it. And, you know, for how many kilometers we actually sweep on ice, it's it's no doubt we have to be fit to do so. And Tali, for yourself, I mean, is similar conception there, and I guess with the smaller community there in, in Queensland, was that kind of something that people looked at? And particularly also, too, for yourself, switching from one winter sport to another, where people are like, oh, what are you doing? You're going to curling from figure skating? I mean, gosh, all that training for what? Yeah, so um, I know at school, like, if, if people would say, oh, you know, you're a curler, um, that kind of went around really quick because it is bizarre and not a lot of people do it. So um, I was known as the curler in high school. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is, like Dean said, it's changing a lot, the sport, and it's definitely heading in the direction of very physical, very, um, you know, high in- intense, especially because Dean does a lot of the sweeping. So he's very, very fit, um, but it, it's definitely changing in that sort of respect. How do you come up with that, just on that topic of who's the sweeper and, and who's the skip, if that's correct terminology, right? Uh, or is that just in teams? Please correct me on any, all of my curling te- uh, terminology today. I mean, do you two just flip a coin? Is it because Dean's been working out the gym harder? I mean, kind of how do you <laughs> distinguish who's going to do each role? Um, I guess for mixed doubles, it's, it cha- it's different for each team for us. Um, well, Dean used to play with his mum and that's kind of the way that you played it was your mum was the skip and then you would sweep all of the rocks. So that's when we became a partnership, that's kind of how it evolved as well. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's so critical with um, mixed doubles to have someone watching line. And we felt that having someone in the house, especially for my shots, um, was really important. And so we just kind of gravitated towards that setup, you know, me doing the sweep and Tali calling line and the strategy. So I was actually intrigued how you brought that up. I was going to ask you, Dean, that I saw that you competed with your, your mum for, for quite some time. Uh, I mean, what then brings about the change to teaming up with Tali? Is it a case of mum, you're holding me back. Come on, you're, you're dissing me. Like, <laughs> this is not good for my game. Like, come on. Or is it a case of, you know, maybe you just got too good and you needed to find someone equally good. Not say your mum's not good, but. No, I think, you know, she was, I think she was almost 60, the last world championships we played together. So we're getting to that stage where you kind of wanted to make a a new change. And um, I thought having someone young would be key that we can go a bit further with for a longer period of time, because, you know, if we didn't make it to that um, upcoming Olympics, then at least we could make it to the following one too. So I think it's just looking towards the future a bit more and um, trying to have someone there who can do that with me. 
So how did you two then meet? Was it a case of just uh, the circles? You were sort of on different teams and thought it would be a good fit? Had you known each other for, for some time? I mean, I, I want either of you to jump in here with the, the great story of when you two first met. Um, we met, actually, we played juniors for a long time together. Obviously, Dean was in the men's team and I was in the women's team, but um, we both actually played our first event at the same time, I'm pretty sure. We went, yeah, and in Korea, um, we went, to the, that was our first junior event. Um, and so we just sort of like knew each other from that sort of circle. Um, and then obviously um, sort of met up again at one of the nationals, uh, one of the mixed doubles nationals in uh, what year was it? 2017. <laughs> 2016, 617, yeah. yeah. Um, and after that, Dean sort of got in touch with me and yeah, the rest is sort of history, I guess. <laughs> It's like my mum's not with me anymore. We can we can partner up now. It's kind of well, it was funny because we they actually were... set this up before I was playing with mum at World Championships. So ah. mum actually suggested it. Yeah. So kind of a mutual agreement. Um, we'd have one last hurrah to World Championships and then we'd switch over. So say there's a bit of a mutiny going on there, like a survivor blind side or something like that. You're switching alliances. <laughs> Could have Sorry, mum. Uh, <laughs> you're on the wayside there. Is, is there, when it comes to sort of pairing up though in the mixed doubles, is it sort of a case of what you're keeping an eye on sort of the, the men's or the women's team to see like who could work? I mean, is there kind of a dynamic you two need to have for a successful mixed doubles pairing? I think for sure. Yeah. Um, there's a huge dynamic aspect in doubles, especially because there's only two people and it's a male and female. Um, you know, in a group of four, you know, you can have a couple of guys which you don't like, but you just put up with it because, <laughs> you know, you can have two against two every so often. But, um, you know, when you're just two people out there on the ice together, you really don't have anyone else to work with. So you have to have a good relationship with each other and um, have a good kind of dynamic on the ice. And Tali, for yourself, when you kind of then get that call, get that nod up there, was was Dean someone that you had sort of gotten to a point where you're like, okay, yeah, I could have that, and then building up, I guess, that dynamic on the ice over the years? Yeah, I'd actually always looked up to Dean because um, we're five, I'm five years younger than him, and um, he was sort of, you know, like the up-and-coming curler when we were in juniors, and I always looked up to him, and he's always worked so hard, and I was quite surprised when he... Um, messaged me and was like, you know, do you want to sort of start a partnership? And this is my goal. This is where I want to go. And I'd always, you know, wanted to go as far as I can with any sport that I do. I'm quite competitive in that way. Um, so it was really good just to have someone who was on the same page as me. And um, yeah, I guess playing with Dean, it was just sort of like, oh yeah, I reckon this could work. And um you know, we've had to sort of work a lot on team dynamics because as Dean said, mixed doubles is somewhat different considering, you know, playing with men and women and um, there is that natural difference anyway. But um, I think, you know, we sort of have a really good start and um, definitely a lot to grow, but yeah, it's all sort of worked out really well so far and good to see where it's going to (laughs) go. In terms of the mixed doubles itself, obviously made its debut in Olympic competition in, in 2018. Was this something, though, outside of the Olympics that was, I guess, a lot more prominent on the world stage and it was a bit of a surprise that it took so long to get at the Olympics? I mean, maybe, Dean, I'll direct this to you. Was it kind of just something that it was surprising it took so long? And when it did, it was kind of this is a real opportunity now for Australia if we can't qualify sort of in the men's and the women's that mixed, mixed is sort of where we can maybe look at getting into an Olympics. 
Yeah, it was still kind of that new format at the time and there was a, quite a few unknowns and a couple of rule changes that were coming into force. Um, but it, it did look like, it looked like the event where you could kind of make that those inroads. Um, a lot of teams hadn't really been playing for a whole lot of time together. I think especially, you know, as, as such a powerhouse that Canada is, before it became an Olympic event, it was very unknown across Canada and it wasn't traditional. So a lot of curlers tended to steer clear of it. But I think, you know, with the success of Caitlin and John at those Olympics, um, it's really taken off and you watch all their national championships now and even just the tour events and they have some amazing curlers playing now and it's really becoming that exciting sport because it's, you know, short, sharp. Um, it's always happening and there's not much waiting around. And um, yeah, I think just the success that it had in Korea, I think it's, it's really taking off now and it's becoming really competitive. The 2020 of curling, I guess you could call it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's what they're trying to almost make it is that kind of 2020 style. Which it's, it's fascinating. I mean, one thing that when I lived in Canada is you kind of hear these things about like, oh, curling's such a big sport. It's on primetime TV. It, it is on primetime TV. Like this is legitimately a thing. And sort of going back to your point about saying how there's, what, 200, 250 people playing it in, in Australia and yet, you know, that doesn't even have that in, in clubs. I mean, I always like to sort of go over the fact that in Australia we have, what, about 20 rinks in the entire country and they've probably got 20 rinks in most suburbs in Canada. So it's kind of yeah. just that those, those mountains that you sort of – overcome with that when you guys obviously partner up and then go end up going to the the world championships uh where you guys do so well and finish fourth in that first one tali i'll start with you i mean was this obviously you want the goal is to go into these to to win a medal win them and do that sort of stuff but was it a realistic chance going into those world championships that you thought you could go as far as the semi-finals um going into that event our goal was to make the top 16 because that was the first year that they were going to cut that off and have the top 20 play at worlds um but you did have to sorry the top 16 automatically qualified but then you sort of had to fight your way back into that a pool so going into that our goal was just to make the top 16 keep a spot for australia at the next world championships and after we sort of went to the next round and played against Switzerland. We, uh, yeah, we just sort of like, all right, let's just keep going. And um, it was definitely a little bit unexpected, but we sort of came away from that going, all right, like anything's possible and um, really excited for the next events and see what we could do and how far we could sort of push ourselves and know that we can aim just that little bit higher at the next event. So, um I was going to say just uh, before I get uh, Dean to sort of comment on that too. I mean, that was was that your first uh, taste of a of a world championship just for yourself? Yeah. So the only other championship that I'd played at was the World Junior B, um, which is definitely not the same level. <laughs> so that was pretty much the first uh, major world championship that I'd played at. And Dean, was that yours with, I mean, obviously with Tali, but had you, you talked about the ones you're going to with, with your mum before, were they the, the B ones or had you gone to the, the, the main ones as well? Yeah. So the previous two years, mum and I um, were at the, um, I guess, A group, but at that stage, they weren't any A or B groups. It was just one all in um, world championship. And um, both those events, we missed out on draw shot challenge, which was pretty rough. So it came down to a matter of centimetres or, 
you know, in one game, it literally came down to an inch um, and we would have made playoffs. So, you know, we're really wow. close on on that cusp. So we knew that, you know, we could get across the line, but, you know, with the, with the new team, you just never know. So, Which then, for, for your experience, then teaming up with Tali to, to get that uh, performance, I mean, again, as Tali was saying, for a top 16, you end up fourth. I mean, uh, you know, that, that must have been a pretty special feeling for yourself, given that you'd sort of been there a couple of times already and had those narrow misses. Oh, exactly. I mean, going to that World Championships, we didn't really know what to expect. Um, we thought, we'll see how we go trying to make that top 16 and, you know, losing the first two event, two games of, of the World Championships and then having to win the rest after that just to make playoffs in the top 16. That was a really good feeling, um, winning that final game to make it. And um, yeah, it was, it was pretty eye-opening to see where we could go and yeah, gave us a lot of confidence going forward. What's the qualification process for events like this? Uh, maybe we'll talk about the Olympics a little bit separately, but is it a case of Australian competitors have to go through the Pacific? Do we sort of kind of combine with Asia, maybe because there's not as many Pacific nations? I mean, uh, either of you can chime in here to explain it, because I can imagine that uh, it, it must be tricky for a nation like Australia to get to the World Championships A versus maybe the World Championships B. Yeah, so it depends on the event. So for World Championships for doubles, um, we were fortunate enough to play in that all-in World Championship in 2019 and sat in that top 16 where we just stay in the A group um, and we will do for the following year as well. Um, But if you're to drop out of that A group, then you have to come up through the B group and come top four out of um, a large group of, of countries but then when you look at men's or women's, then it changes again. So you have to win nationals out of Australia to be the national team. Um, and then to actually get to world championships, you have to go through the Pacific Asia region, um, similar to there's a European um, region and you only have a certain number of spots available to actually then get to the world championships. So for example, in general, the average number of spots out of Pacifics is two spots. So you're competing wow. against, some um, pretty good teams, some professional teams, especially from Asia with the likes of China, Korea, Japan, um, and then quite a few other good teams around Chinese Taipei and New Zealand, Australia, and Kazakhstan is even coming up now. So, yeah, there's it's, it's a long road um, to play through nationals and then Pacifics just to get to world championships. And, yeah, it, it takes a lot of a lot of time away and a lot of work to get there. It sounds almost similar to ice hockey in, in some levels, how they've got sort of the, the tiers. Like I know sort of Australia's what about tier B or tier C, and then you've got to get into that tier A to get Olympic qualification along those lines, which, I mean, the, the challenges for Australia already in, in a sport like curling, I can imagine, is big. But, I mean, Tali, what's it sort of like when, you, when you're going through these events knowing that, you know, as you were saying before, to get a top six, 16 to sort of remain in that group, whereas, say, you're up against a lot of nations who I guess realistically are going for medals for Australia. It's a matter of uh, survival just to kind of stay in that competition for the next year. Yeah, especially because um, that was my first um, big world event. Um, it was a little bit nerve wracking and especially being a new partnership. Um, it was a little bit like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> But I think that was kind of a strength for us um, at that event was that we were somewhat the underdogs and we just wanted to go out and have fun and we had absolutely nothing to lose that event. So um, I think that that was 
somewhat of a strength for us that we sort of went in it with a really positive, um, like go get it kind of attitude and being the underdogs definitely helped. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was, it was a good experience for sure. Which it's a, it's a massive deal, I think, which made little waves here in Australia, which is surprising. To finish fourth at a <laughs> World Curling Championships is massive for a nation like Australia. I mean, are you surprised that this is something that wasn't talked about more, the fact that you guys did make it this deep into a, a tournament? Obviously, curling is, you know, a, a very limited sport in the country, but, I mean, this is massive for, for the sport in Australia, I can imagine. I mean, Dean, maybe I'll sort of start with you with that one. Sort of, I mean, was this something that you felt would have brought more exposure to the sport and were a bit surprised that it didn't bring as much as exposure as it probably should have? Yeah, I mean, it brought a little more exposure, a couple interviews from it. But, yeah, it was pretty unknown still um, to the public about how we did. Um, so hopefully, you know, our goal is to make the Olympics and hopefully that brings a bit more um, marketing and advertising towards the game because, you know, for us, we need at least a dedicated curling rink in Australia and that's something that we don't even have yet. You know, you look at all the teams at um, world level and they've all got dedicated ice. So, um it's, it's a tough ball game for us um, as it is at the moment. So any kind of promotion of the sport here is just key. And Tali, for yourself, I can imagine going back to what you're saying about you were known as the curler at high school. I mean, can you then turn around and contact those same people? And be like, yeah, the curler who got fourth at the world championships. <laughs> um, I had a few. Um, we sort of did a big post on Instagram sort of saying this is like the result we got. We're really happy and proud um and you sort of get like every every now and again someone being like that's awesome that's great and australia really is the kind of country that will absolutely back any sport so um it was kind of like my family was definitely super happy but um i think the biggest thing was getting a lot of support from all the institutes here and sort of having that level of support from our result that was probably the biggest thing in terms of that support then, uh, I mean, is there, is it just come, comes from the Winter Institute of Australia? I mean, does the AIS get involved kind of? How, how do you get that support then to help you guys? And, and how big is that result in terms of, say, the next year going, hey, well, this is what we're capable of. Give us more money, essentially. Yeah, I think um, yeah. having support from the Olympic Winter Institute of Australia um, was really key and as well as our state institutes, we had Victorian Institute of Sport and the Queensland Academy of Sport um, because we are obviously in different states. Um, so having that support, but also just the um, providers around them too. So in terms of helping us get overseas, as well as, you know, strength, conditioning, nutrition, sports psych, all those different avenues, there were things that we just didn't have before and wouldn't have been able to afford to. So that's been so critical for us over the last couple of years since the result. And yeah, really looking forward to working with them a bit further leading into this qualification event. You mentioned about obviously being in different states uh, and particularly during the current times right now and the times we've been at the moment. I mean, how does that uh, affect the training? I mean, Tali, I was reading that you put a, a sock or something on a broom to kind of practice your sweeping on your, on your tiles. But I mean, I guess that kind of doesn't help if, if Dean's not in the room to throw some, I don't know, socks on the ground as well to pretend they're stones. I mean, how, how can you two sort of stay up to date with training individually, but also trying to work together? Is there sort of methods you can do over Zoom, as silly as that may sound? Uh, yeah, especially during COVID, Zoom was our best friend. Um, <laughs> it was probably everyone's best friend, but... <laughs> 
um, Dean and I did a lot of strategy work over Zoom and um, sort of quite a lot of logistics, um, which changed very frequently with COVID. Um, but yeah, just sort of keeping up like in contact and making sure that we are going over strategy, going over um, even watching our own games, seeing where like we can improve um, what our strengths are and sort of like developing those or having a plan for those for when we do get on ice. Um, in terms of on ice training though, we both sort of just train that once a week um, on the multi-sport rinks. Um, and just whenever we meet up, we make sure that we have enough time overseas um, to train together and sort of iron out all the kinks. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is, it is somewhat of a barrier, but we definitely work around it and kind of have to, I guess. So, yeah. I don't want you to give away your secrets in case any of your competitors are listening, but I mean, how, how does a strategy meeting generally work? Like, what, Can you give us sort of a, a basic overview of what a strategy is going into a game? Maybe, Dean, if you want to kind of chime in first and then Tali go for, for your idea on a strategy meeting. Yeah, so it kind of varies on what we're trying to work on specifically with strategy, um, whether we're trying to scout another team and look through what their strategy is and see how we can combat that. Um, or even our own games and just reflecting on them, seeing, you know, what kind of shots we need to be playing at certain times, where we need to be bailing out um, and just kind of setting up a bit of a log around, you know, what is our plan against certain teams, but in general, what what are the first few shots of the end that we're going to be playing? Um, yeah, so a lot of, a lot of scouting um, and I guess sort of like you can, e we even like watch um, games like, uh, especially when Canada was having their national events, we watched a lot of those and sort of seeing how other teams are communicating, what sort of strategy they're playing. Did it work? Didn't it work? Uh, because still relatively new, I guess, in terms of like, it's a little bit unknown what to do, especially for the power play. So sort of like trialing error, like trial and error, what works, what doesn't, um, and seeing what other teams are doing as well. The thing that, that we do. one of the, the best things I always love about watching curling at the Olympics is you, you, the talking fact is that you get to hear you guys talking. You get to hear the curlers having those strategy conversations, <laughs> which it's one of the, the rare sports I feel you get that. Obviously, during Tokyo, we got to see a lot more of that with no crowd, so you can literally hear the athletes talking, but it's sort of really, really rare. I mean, in the middle of a, of a, of a match when you're kind of getting to a certain point, I mean, those strategies obviously have to change and everything, but I mean, just how how important is sort of a, an in-end chat? Like, I mean, and which of the two of you is kind of the motivator? Like, Dean, are you the one going, come on, Tyler, you can do this? Or Tyler, are you sort of queen positivity there? I mean, kind of what is the secret to a good curling talk in between ends? Uh, <laughs> yeah, this I think is... um, having, that, having that chat is important. <laughs> Sometimes we forget, but <laughs> <laughs> no. Um I think just sort of discussing what like what happened that end and what our goals are for the next end. That's sort of um, the basics of it. Um, but I feel like um, at the start, Dean was definitely a very big motivator because uh, I was still a bit nervous. But um, I think over time, we've sort of we both sort of um, changed between who sort of like like we sort of bring each other up in our own little way. Um, that's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned that around um, being mic'd up because you're right, there's not many sports around yeah. the world where you actually have the microphone on you and the whole time, you know, they can listen in at whatever time they want, with the viewers at least. Um, so you kind of have to be careful about what you say and, you know, <laughs> what you give away. But, um, yeah, it is, it's a cool element of the sport and it kind of reminds me of that 2020 cricket when they do have a few players mic'd up, but, you know, I think one day they'll have a two-way conversation in some of those fun events with the commentators and the players. I'd love to see that. That'd be that'd really be cool. That'd be a good idea. Yeah, that'd be actually really entertaining. Yeah. Is, is there any possibility that you can kind of wear a secret earpiece to kind of hear what the others are talking about? Because I know in <laughs> Formula One, they've started broadcasting a lot of the radios and the teams can obviously listen to what the other radios. So curling, maybe? Is this a secret thing you can do? No, no, unfortunately. No. Not. No. <laughs> no. Well, I no, should we make it happen. Come conversation. on, conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see. I want to see that happen uh, ahead of that. After 2019, obviously the 2020 ones were called off, and then uh, went to the ones earlier this year. I mean, how for for yourself as a pair, I can imagine that the COVID probably hit a little bit harder. Going back to that fact, that you're in different states, uh, can't sort of really train as much as say some of these other nations. Uh, I mean, Dean, I'll start with you for this one. I mean, sort of how how bad was COVID sort of in the preparations for this year's world championships and I guess also in the in the lead up to Olympic qualification as well yeah I mean I didn't step on ice for over a year so that was something that I've never really experienced before um so it was a real challenge and I was lucky enough to have the support of the VIS to you know provide me with one of their slide boards so I could actually do a mini slide out and do some (laughs) sweeping on it and whatnot but um yeah, it was tough. You know, that first slide when we had a little training camp before our most recent worlds coming out of the hack there, it was pretty unsteady. It was looking a bit dicey. So yeah, it took a while to get back into it again. Um, and I think that that was a huge challenge for us and not really actually getting to throw with each other at all as well for well over a year. Um, it was tough and, you know, we tried to make the most of it from Sweden and it was really good to have a training camp there and, you know, we're slowly building up more and more on ice time. And, you know, we're just in New Zealand, had a great training camp over there. But again, that was cut short a little bit from COVID as well. So it, it, it's tough. Because they've got the dedicated rink in Naseby. Naseby, isn't it, right? Uh, sort of uh, there. And, and silver in the, the winter games in New Zealand in 2020. I have to admit, I didn't know there was such a thing as a New Zealand winter games. And I was living in Invercargill and found out they were a thing. So uh, I was lucky enough to go up and watch Australia play New Zealand in, in one of the uh, ice hockey matches, which was fantastic. But had I known curling was around, I obviously didn't do my research. I could have come and watched you guys because I would have been there in a heartbeat to watch uh, that in that in person. What's Tally, what's, what's it like to sort of have a dedicated curling rink in this part of the world. I mean, obviously it's a little bit to the right of us and you've got to catch a plane there, but I mean, it's a little bit closer than having to fly to, to Sweden, I guess, as Dean was talking about there. Yeah, we actually um, were just in New Zealand um, while the bubble was open. So um, it was really good to catch up with everyone there. And um, we were saying, you know, it feels so good to be back because it's practically everyone like curling in Australia. It's our second home. Um, we have all of our nationals there and we get along so well with the Kiwis. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's, it's good to have that sort of close by and um, the New Zealand winter games were really good um, to sort of have that event close to home. Unfortunately, they have been canceled for curling. Um, Damn. But yeah, so that is a shame, but um yeah, just getting getting over there and, and seeing everyone is, is really good. 
In terms of now to Beijing, uh, I believe there's a qualifying tournament in December. So, Talia, I'll, I'll direct this at you. What's the process? What What do you guys need to do uh, to, to get that Olympic spot for 2022? So, um, at the moment, we're planning on heading over to Canada. Um, hopefully, there's a little bit of an opening for fully vaccinated travellers um, coming up soon. So, that's sort of our plan. Um, our coach, one of our coaches are, is over there and getting on ice there and competing in events over there would be really, really crucial for us. Um, maybe even going to Europe as well, playing in a couple of events over there because that was something that sort of did hinder us a little bit going into the last Worlds was just the lack of events um, because of COVID. So having the chance to do that would be really good for us going into the OQE. Yeah, and I suppose building on from that, um, that OQE, we do need to come top two. So there'll be about 12 yeah. or so teams, I think. Um, wow. And we need to get those final two spots to make the Olympics in February. Wow. So in terms of those 12 teams, though, I mean, kind of are these, what sort of nations are we up against? I mean, what sort of teams? Like kind of, is this something where top two is very achievable or, I mean, kind of, explain it what what do we have i want to watch out for this in december to know that if we've got to beat new zealand we've got to beat new zealand like tell me what we're going to do <laughs> there's quite a few good teams there um yeah that are going to be there we're at the world championships we were just at so you know we've got the likes of the us the russians um germany is up there the kiwis we have to beat them as well so um our, our hope is that we can play the kiwis in that um, final game for gold. So um, we'll see how we go. But yeah, there's there's quite a good few teams there, yeah. you know, professional athletes. So and and how are you both feeling then? I mean, obviously, Tali, as you were explaining there, you know, trying to get over there for some more ice time to to kind of get that. But I mean, how how are you both? I guess mentally looking towards that now, only a couple of months away from a potential debut Olympic spot for Australia and curling. Um, I'm actually really excited. I like coming off Worlds. It wasn't the result that we wanted, but definitely the best experience ever to be in that position to, you know, have the chance to go to the Olympics and we still do. So I'm excited, you know, if, if we can get to Canada, it'll be awesome to play over there, play against some really great teams. And um, yeah, I'm just super pumped going into this one. I mean, you don't get this opportunity often and um, you got to go in positive and Yeah. <laughs> Dean, can you get much sort of um, help and, I guess, advice from, from your dad? I mean, you know, as, as I've said, obviously curling, you know, in terms of as an official medal sport, Australia's never been in, but 92 uh, as a demonstration sport, obviously your dad did compete at those Olympics. I mean, can he give you much sort of a, advice in terms of what it's like to get to an Olympics and then to compete in Olympics? And does that sort of help you and then you can pass that on to Tali? Yeah, I think it's it's always interesting listening to him and, you know, his experience at those really big events where there's massive crowds. Now, we don't know if that's going to happen in China or not. It may do, may not. Um, but, yeah, just the whole process of everything and, you know, there's pressure moments. He has that experience there. And I think even we've had the luxury of being able to talk to so many other winter athletes in other sports and, you know, their process and, their lead up to the Olympics and seeing, you know, what they go through as well. 
it, it gives you some really valuable insight and even like leading up to the last world championships, listening to them and how they coped during lockdowns overseas um, and having to train at the same time and really not being able to socialize with anyone while you're over there was um, really valuable for us just to have a bit of a heads up leading into those events. So we'll try and dabble a bit more into those other athletes as well. Kind of going back to what we're talking about before about the exposure of the sport after your fourth place in the world championships, what would it mean to the sport in this country if you guys qualify for the Olympics? Because it would be groundbreaking. Again, Australia never competed in, in the sport. I mean, Dean, back to your point before, is it kind of a case of that exposure would all of a sudden open up doors and potentially really help boost the sport in this country for the for the next decade or so? Oh, it'd be massive. I mean, every Olympics, um, there is a little increase in curlers across the country. But I think if we can actually get an Australian team there, that'd be absolutely huge. I mean, um, in terms of coverage for a sport during the Olympics, curling has the most amount of coverage out of any sport. Um, We cover the whole Olympic period plus more. We actually start before the event even begins. So, um, yeah, the amount of coverage that we could get and the support from that to hopefully, you know, boost our numbers, but also some more training times at the current locations we have. But also on top of that, hopefully be able to get a dedicated curling rink. Um, we've seen how much that's boosted New Zealand and a lot of those countries around the world, which were in the same situation as us without the dedicated curling ice. And that's just um, improved their numbers and their results exponentially. Tali, and for yourself, I mean, kind of going on what Dean was saying, I mean, I could imagine uh, for your mum that would be a pretty proud moment after having uh, watched it on TV and the Olympics all those years ago to get into the sport to all of a sudden then seeing her daughter potentially represent her country at the Olympics. I mean, I'm not trying to sort of talk this up to the point now where it's all the pressure, but I'm I'm just saying that would be an amazing moment, I can imagine, for your mum should that happen in December. Yeah, yeah. I think even after we got um, fourth at the Worlds in 2019, that was just huge. I was, <laughs> my sister also plays curling, so we're sort of in a little, um, in a women's team together. And I just remember being on the phone crying to her. <laughs> um, so I, I would be very emotional. And I think, you know, just to have that achievement, it would just be, it would, it would be huge for Australia. And um, yeah, I think our parents, having been in the sport so long we'd just be just so proud i feel like they're already proud of us anyway but i'd hope um, so <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean if they're not then yeah, we no, might have to have words are. with them you know uh kind of what, what, what's going on there i mean what does it take to get a dedicated curling rink in this country and is it something that is potentially on the cards i mean either of you can chime in with that one but it's it's kind of it would be an interesting facility to be built uh in this country i can imagine but i mean as Dean, you were sort of adding you get something like that and that's obviously going to help the sport a lot more moving forward. Yeah, it's massive. Um, at the moment, I think Perth is probably uh, the closest to getting one. They're working really hard, which is great to see. Um, but hopefully, you know, more of the states can start building on that. And, you know, if we do make the Olympics, hopefully it gives a bit more of a nudge to get that funding to hopefully build that curling rink because they're not cheap and they're not cheap to run, you know, having this massive ice block and keeping that cold over summer is not easy. Um, doesn't mean that we have to host it, you know, have it open during summer, but you know, at least having a, a facility there over winter would be just amazing. And, you know, it can be paired up with so many other things like restaurants and, um, uh, swimming pools because the heat exchange between a swimming pool is actually fantastic for, for both sides. So, 
yeah, there's definitely lots of opportunities and being a sport where, you know, anyone from any age, disability um, and background, it's such an inclusive sport. You know, I was playing world championships when I was, you know, early 20s, my mum was 60. So, you know, you can play at the top level at any age and um, anything is possible, really. You just spur me on now, that realistic nature that I can maybe make the Olympics, you know. Thanks for that, Dean. I mean, I just saw Andrew Hoy win two Olympic medals at 62. So I'm, I'm kind of, you know, it's still possible. I can learn to ride a horse or I can throw a, a stone down a piece of ice. I mean, mm. I, I'd probably go with the stone because I don't know if I could ride a horse. But, uh, you know, who, who knows? Tali, I mean, Brisbane, 2032 Olympics. I know it's summer, but, I mean, they're building enough facilities yeah. and doing some stuff there. Can't you just kind of, you know, quickly have a chat with Anastasia and be like, why are you building these for the summer games? Can you sneakily build a curling <laughs> house at the same time? Yeah, I might have to make a few phone calls. But <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't have many connections in that kind of realm. So I'll have to. Oh, when you make the Olympics, <laughs> you will. work really hard at that one. <laughs> don't worry. When you get that Olympic yeah, ticket, I mean, you get all the knows? phone numbers. Yeah. <laughs> all They're those phone numbers. swimming pools, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or just sneakily go into one yeah. of the swimming pools and just freeze it over. So, you know, there you go. You can you can kind of have that. What I mean, Tali, in all seriousness, yeah. uh, sort of talking about your sort of training regimes, it, it I read that, so you get a broom and what put a sock over it. I mean, kind of take us through what what that is and, and how you guys are able to sort of keep up the training in between when you can get to the ice. Yeah, so I know Dean does the same, um, but essentially we just um, take one of our, I take one of my old curling brooms and um, just put like a sock over it um, so it doesn't like totally ruin the broom head. Um, but I just sort of do like interval sweeping sessions on tiles on my tiles downstairs and um, just sort of like you'd sort of try and mimic what you would sweep in a game. So that's about uh, 15 seconds is what we normally do, like 15 seconds on and then off. Um, so, yeah, let's try and try and replicate what you would do on the ice. Obviously, it's not totally the same because you're not really getting that movement as well with your feet um, as the same as what you would on the ice, but it's definitely better than nothing. Dean, I mean, Tali just mentioned sort of similar thing. I mean, do, do you do anything extra on, on top of that? Yeah, that that's probably the key with me too. You know, I've been doing it on my tiled floor for years now. Um, so all the people that think they're all creative from overseas who couldn't get on ice over the last <laughs> year thinking that, you know, sweeping on the tiled floor is a good idea. Well, Australians have been doing it for decades. So <laughs> that's just a natural thing over yeah. here. Um, but yeah, we've had, I've got a slide board, the VIS, which has been key for me. I was just there today actually doing some intervals there. Um, which is great because it has that really slippery surface um, and can even mimic it for sliding out as well out of the hack. So, What I really appreciate about learning these little hack things is that, um, you know, everyone grows up watching shows like MacGyver and thinks that, you know, he's amazing by putting these things together with a paperclip and a piece of cheese or something like that. But, like, I'm learning that, uh, you know, athletes are, are exactly the same way. You're putting socks on brooms. We just saw Jess Fox using condoms at the Olympics on a boat to kind of uh, put, you know, things into place there. So, I mean, <laughs> why do we need to watch MacGyver? We can just watch athletes do this. You guys need to have our own TV show here for hacks with this sort of stuff. I think it's incredible how many athletes do that. You know, you look back at Dr. Yeah. Bradman, what did he start with? Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I think a lot of athletes, especially when you're in a winter sport um, in Australia, 
it's it's so key to have those different hacks available which I can imagine the community level too, just for the winter sports, given you know how sort of limited the numbers are compared to the the summer sports. I mean, we've obviously seen the great new facility built in 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 your state, Tally, for sort of the freestyle athletes there as well. And I mean, the Ice House has done wonders for winter sports in Australia over the the last decade. I mean, do you just see this going from strength to strength still in in this country? Because I mean, you know, I grew up in the '90s, remembering when you know Zali Segal gets a bronze medal. It's like the greatest thing ever. And nowadays, it's kind of like we come back from an Olympic disappointed that we didn't win a gold i mean it's just it's going from strength to strength tally i mean sort of you know going back to your point about you know figure skating being around winter sports i mean have you seen it outside of curling maybe just grow and grow and see continue to grow in this country yeah especially like you said having that facility built here in brisbane for the um skiers is just huge like i'm so happy that that's happened for them and it's exciting to see you know where other sports can go and um, I know definitely being more involved with the winter sports here um, in Australia it's so exciting to hear like all the different things that people do um, just to train um, and it's exciting to see that things are slowly developing like you said and going from strength to strength so um, it's definitely a bright future ahead for uh, winter sports in Australia. And Dean, for yourself with the Ice House, I mean, just how incredible has that been for, for the sports that are there for the country and particularly for yourself being in Melbourne? I mean, I can imagine that that's just a place you'd probably never want to. I've been there a couple of times and it is such an amazing facility for this country. Yeah, it's fantastic. Having two rigs there is so key. I mean, you can have one sport, which is, one side of the rink, which is dedicated to the sports and one side, which is for more public skating. So um, the availability there is a lot better than, you know, what you can have in just a single rink facility, but also to have, you know, a gym there and the OWIA up on the top level and you have so much support there and um, having a rink there with dedicated um rings in there ready to go to play is also key you know in a lot of states around the country that had to put in their rings every week um just because they went rings already in the ice so um yeah the support over the year has been great and yeah looking forward to hopefully building up a few more nights of curling there if we can have you either of you ever been down to to hobart to see the lovely little rink that we have down in uh, our beautiful city down here I've never been to Tasmania, but I have heard it's very, very nice. <laughs> and I, I do want to go, but no, I've not been to Tasmania. <laughs> no, I heard that I heard that it was close to closing, but there was a bit of a petition going around to it's keep it sale. open. I'm not sure what so the, if, yeah. if you guys want oh. to buy it, you can buy it and maybe turn that into a dedicated car. It is it, tiny. It is it is very, very small. Uh, I would probably say about a third of a, of a regulation size rink, but going along to watch three on three hockey on a Tuesday night on boards that don't exist. And there's a brick wall there that you can basically get checked into. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting to watch, but if you want to buy it, you know, you, you're welcome to, uh, they're still looking for a buyer as far as I know. So, you know, well, I mean, ice is ice. We'll take any. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> got some fun questions to sort of uh, wrap this up uh, in terms of getting to know you guys a little bit better. And what this is from, Team Canada have a My Name Is section on their website where before Olympics, they sadly didn't do it before Tokyo, so I'm hoping they'll bring it back before Beijing. They get some of their athletes and get a bit of a get-to-know-you session with some random things. I'm just actually quickly looking at both your profiles, though, on the OWIA website here. So I'm learning a little bit more about you both here. So, Tali, for yourself, you you do love some chocolate. Um, You love Queen Bee. (laughs) 
So we can maybe bring up yes. some uh, Beyonce going on there. You say you also love watching ice hockey and volleyball. Do I ask who your NHL team is right now when you say you like oh, watching ice hockey? I did this so long ago. Um, I like – I don't follow a particular team. I just like the sport. It's really, like, quick, it's fast, it's a little bit aggressive. <laughs> um, so I just I just like watching it, um, but I don't follow a particular team. I thought I converted you to Winnipeg. <laughs> oh, I wow. do have a Winnipeg jersey. I bought a Winnipeg jersey when we were there, so I okay. guess I'm the Jets. <laughs> Not the worst Canadian team you could go for. Let's be honest. Uh, Colin yeah. doesn't even go for Winnipeg. He goes for the Leafs, and he lives in Winnipeg. Um, I'm a Flames oh, what a man. Terrible so mistake. You, you can judge oh, yeah. me as a Flames man. It's okay. Uh, Dean, I'm seeing here. Uh, you like ice cream? Yep. You like rock, pop, and classics? Um, cricket going there? Essendon? Yeah. I just I don't know about the Essendon thing. How how you feel? This will date this uh, probably uh, air after we see hopefully the bombers choke. I'm a Carlton man, so I'm kind of hoping that we take your place. Oh. Yeah. How are you feeling though right now in terms of the last couple of rounds? Yeah, it looks a little dicey for us this year. Uh, we kind of fallen away a little bit late in the season but you know looking at the the crew that we've got building from the young guys i think we've got a pretty good future ahead of us i think yeah we've been saying that for about the last uh, 25 years so um, <laughs> you know good luck with that and as yeah, quickly just on the ice hockey thing are you an ice or a mustangs man ice Oh, gee, we're not getting along well here. I'll, I'll hide oh. the Mustang love. <laughs> All right, uh, so we'll get through these questions. Um, your favourite ever Olympic moment. Uh, let's start with you, Tali. Oh, um, oh, gee. I don't know. I just think, like, when I, when I watch sport, I just love seeing the athletes react to, like, winning gold. or So it's more like a collection of moments, really, for me, just seeing the athletes get their goal or, like, get, you know, work so hard for their dream and they finally achieve it. Just all the emotion and you can tell it's just, like, all coming out at once. I just – I love those moments. They're cool. Great answer. Dean? <laughs> Um, I think it's been really fascinating watching this most recent Olympics and mm. um, all the moments there, you know, looking at the high jump and they shared a gold medal. Like it wasn't even hesitation. It was like, yes, we want to yeah. share. We don't want to jump for this. Um, but I'd say overall it has to be Kathy Freeman. I mean, the pressure she was under and what she was able to deliver at 2000 was just so amazing, you know, in your home country and everything. Yeah. Can't beat it. Always. Yeah, just such an iconic moment. I think every Australian remembers that there. Um, it's funny, actually, um, two years later uh, when, when Bradbury won that gold, it was so different, wasn't it? Um, not quite the same as Kathy, but that I'll never forget that moment when my dad comes home from work and he's like, turn on the radio. And I'm like, like what's going on? It's just turn on the radio. And like everybody on the radio, the news, like, breaking news, we've won a gold medal. And it's like, oh, this is great, you know, fantastic. And then you realise how he does it. Like it was just such a an amazing moment. Not to try and compare it to Kathy, but kind of in a way, you know, I, I put it up there. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, I love that moment. Yeah. Such an incredible moment. Um, all right, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Let's start with you, Dean, for this one. Uh, telekinesis. Oh. Moving things with your mind, I think, is pretty cool. You could Helping do a lot curling. of things with that. Yes, yeah. you can put it wherever you want, so... Yeah. Okay. Wow. Tyler, maybe you need to have that as well, just so that you can uh, go on and uh, not only get easy into the Olympics, gold medal for Australia. There you go. Um, 
Oh, this is hard because I'm such a nerd and I love like <laughs> DC and everything. List them all then, um, go on. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I would be like Superwoman, I don't know. <laughs> Have all the Superman powers, he's pretty cool. Or Wonder Woman, I don't know, it's hard to choose. <laughs> So, so I have to ask then, are you Team DC or Team Marvel? Do you have a preference? Oh, DC all the way. I love Marvel. I love Marvel, but definitely a DC fan. Correct answer. Correct. Dean, let me guess your Marvel based on how we're going. I just say interview. Marvel just to, yeah. you know, annoy you. <laughs> yeah. um, your favourite sports movie, Tali, we'll go with you first. Um, Sports movie. Um, oh, probably... Uh, Oh, these are tough questions. Um, oh, I don't know. You, Dean, you go first. I can't really think at the moment. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. That's a really tough Yeah, I need to look at it. <laughs> I actually have You've never seen Cool Runnings. Oh, wow. You were doing so well, Tali. I know, now I don't I'm know. I'm so sorry. Jeez. <laughs> Don't know. I don't know how it was. <laughs> I was gonna say that's a standard for all Australia. Generally, Australian winter movies it's either Cool Runnings or The Mighty Ducks, right? So you know that's kind yeah. of where it comes from. Mighty Ducks <laughs> is up there, but yeah, I don't know if we've got a favourite. That's all right. We can come back to it. If something clicks in your mind, <laughs> come this, back I mean, to this, that one. This doesn't qualify you for the Olympics, guys. Like, this is just off the podium, so just <laughs> there's not that much pressure. Uh, your funniest childhood memory, Dean. Let's go with you for this one. Funniest, goodness. Um, I I'm drawn a blank. I think it doesn't have to be appropriate. Oh. <laughs> We're an open podcast. <laughs> I don't know. If right. I've got a funniest moment. I can't even think. I was going to say, Tali, have you got one while Dean's thinking? Um. Oh. I've got a few. This is probably like very Australian. That's what we like. That works. <laughs> but um, in like the, we went, we used to go like um, mum was really keen for us to go see lots of like the outback and that sort of stuff. So we always sort of went on a lot of road trips and um, we came across a group of emus and we were in the car and dad goes, oh, should we race them? Should we race them? So all three of my, I have two younger sisters and all three of us had our heads out the window being like, race us, race us. And we actually raced against the, a pack of emus. I don't know wow. if that's the proper terminology for it, but yeah, and that was just so, I just remember laughing hysterically and oh, it was so Who funny. Won? Um, Who won the race? The emus. Uh, <laughs> Dad tried, but winning. no, they, yeah. they got it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Dean, I feel like I don't know if you can top that if you thought so. Oh, I can't. And that's so Australian too. Like I've, yeah. I've got nothing to beat that. Racing emus. That There's an Olympic sport for Brisbane 2032 if you're listening. Yeah. Anastasia. <laughs> there you um, your favourite pump-up song. Tali, is this Beyonce for you? Have you got just Beyonce going on in the AirPods before you go out there to a match? Oh, 100%. The queen all the way. Um, oh, it depends because she's got such a good range. So... Um, I do like a lot of her pump-up songs, but if I'm in, like, a really, like, I know for before the semi-final, um, I played Halo, so that was kind of, like, 
ready to go after that. Dean looked like he but reacted yeah. to that where you were a bit sick of Beyonce after those uh, world championships, were you, Dean? Oh, there's an obsession, that's for sure. <laughs> How can you not be as bad? with Halo, so I don't know. I get sometimes. <laughs> do, you, do you then, do you just have to quickly switch the playlist, Dean, or do you just have, do you go in your own world and kind of put on something a little bit different? Yeah, I find my own spot. Yeah. <laughs> Put my headphones in. Yeah. <laughs> what's what's your main one then? What's your song if you're going to one? Um, probably Hall of Fame by okay. the script. I think that was a, a big song before the previous Olympics. And I don't know, I just gravitated towards it and loved it. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Good song. Um, all right. Most recent TV show that you binge watched, Dean, we'll start with you. Um we actually rewatched Friends. I don't know how many times I've watched Friends now. But I think when the re- when the reunion came back on, um, I was like, "Oh, have to watch reunion." Then yeah, rewatched the whole um, seasons again. Perfect answer, Tali. Can you top it? Yeah, I I'm binging Friends at the moment. Um, just because everyone was like, "Oh, did you see the reunion?" And I was like, "I actually have never watched like." friends religiously i watch it whenever it's on tv but never like in sequence so i'm watching that at the moment i'm almost done um and we did watch a lot of it when we were in new zealand (laughs) (laughs) friends at the moment friends watching friends i like it okay i have to ask this isn't on the (laughs) list but i've got to ask it now that you brought it up which friend are you tali like who are you out of the six of them i don't know um it probably i don't know who do you reckon, Dean? Oh, don't ask me. That is crap. Actually, I like that. I like that. Both of you answer for each other as well as yourselves. I've always said that I'm a combination uh, hmm. of Ross Chandler and Monica. Okay. Yep. Um, Good combination. Couldn't really pick one, which I truly am, though. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Like... Monica, but minus the OCD thing. I'm not very, I'm not very fussed <laughs> being clean. <laughs> I, I, I want you now during the Olympics to literally at every single end, I want you to just go, I know, every single time you do like a good move, essentially. So that's what you've got to do come Beijing. Yeah. <laughs> friends quotes. All I do have a few catchphrases. <laughs> yes. I mean, that would be perfect. You would go viral with that. Like the Australian curling team that drops catchphrases all the time. That shit would go viral. You'd be on NBC the next day. So there you go. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'd be all over TikTok. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to expose the sport but, in this country. Um, the friends yeah. curl- I mean, those Norwegian pants get all the coverage in this country. We don't care about the Norwegian pants anymore. Yeah. We want the Australian curlers who drop friends quotes. There you go. I- I can just hear Tali saying, like, can you sweep any harder than that? <laughs> Perfect. That there so you go. Good. Dean, in between ends, you could be looking over to, like, the Swedes going, how you doing? Or something like that. <laughs> just kind of, you know, doing that kind of works. I like it. Um, we were oh, on a break. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. There you go. Um, Tali doesn't share ends or something along those lines. Just don't <laughs> do it. Um, yeah. I know both your favourite foods, but what is your least favourite foods, Tali? Um, probably, oh, probably tomato. I don't, ah, yes. I don't mind a- sun-dried tomato, but yeah. I'm I have a same. lot of, it's a we actually thing. went through a list. <laughs> it's more about texture for me. I'm very big on texture with food and if yep. it's like, 
Ooh, I don't know. If it's like a gross texture, I won't eat it, but um, Dean I'm very shocked. picky. Dean, Dean will say I'm very picky. <laughs> <laughs> I don't eat a lot of food. <laughs> I reckon there's worse things out there than tomato. Give us one. What's, what's a worse thing than tomato? Well, brings me back mm. to Sweden, actually, was pickled herring. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, that got Jeez. me good. Okay. <laughs> Stick away yeah. from the Swedish uh, curlers then when they offer you food, essentially. Yeah. That's what you're trying yeah. to say. Okay. Um, well, on the, the topic of food, we're a very food-friendly podcast all of a sudden. Dean, your favourite chip flavour? Oh, I'm always a big fan of honey soy chicken. Ah, yeah. The goat. Good yeah. choice. I'll tell you agree. That's your favourite as well? Yeah. Yeah, except when we were in Sweden, they had this, like, dill-flavoured chip. Oh, yes. I think I ate, like, 20 bags of those. They were dangerous. They always really miss good. that in Australia is dill pickles. Yeah. So, yeah okay. um, what about the ketchup and the all-dressed in Canada? Do you guys get involved much in those when you're over that way? Yeah, um, ketchup for sure. Yeah. <laughs> It's no. underrated, <laughs> underrated chip yeah. flavour. It should make it this yeah. part of the world. Um, all right, Tyler, we'll start with you for this one. If you weren't an athlete, what would you be? Um, well, well, at the moment I'm studying to be a primary school teacher, so probably that, I guess. Um, okay. Yeah. That works. Dean? <laughs> um, I'm actually an exercise physiologist as well, um, so that's what I do to make a bit more money when I'm home. Um, yeah, I'd probably be doing that full-time instead of casually. Great. And how does that work then, um, like going to work and uh, all of a sudden going, oh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, just, you know, watching the footy or whatever. Oh, just trying to qualify for the Olympics. Uh, <laughs> I mean, is that just kind of just a standard conversation you have with work colleagues for both of you? <laughs> oh, it always is a funny mm. conversation when you bring up that you're a curler and, you know, you're heading overseas and whatnot. But they're pretty supportive um, and they're pretty you know, motivating to, to say, you know, go do what you want to do and um, trying to achieve that ultimate dream. One thing I'm trying to get, I think, for both, uh, for all our winter athletes ahead of Beijing is, of course, uh, Channel 7 will have the lovely little montages and the 58 interviews they'll do with you beforehand. Like, I want you to try and, like, drop a word in somewhere. Like, not, not, not a bad word, but, like, a friend's word. Like, uh, just somehow <laughs> drop something in when, you know, you've got Mel McLaughlin in your face interviewing you, creating history. I mean, can we do that? Can we put some sort of word that you can kind of a bit of nod to this interview for Channel 7? Yeah, I think we can drop something. I don't mind trying to do that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Come up with it. The word Ross. You need to use the word Ross. I don't know how, but you can use the word Ross in your Mel McLaughlin interview Ross. on Channel 7. How does that sound? It's going to be tough, right. but challenge, yeah. accepted. challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. Good. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to getting people dropping the name Ross. I'm trying to get our bobsledders to name their sleds after me. It's going to happen, all right? Beijing is the, uh, the Olympics of off the podium. It's happening. Um, your favourite vacation spot is, Tali? Um, that's tough because I don't think I've been on many vacations. Um <laughs> I would love to go to Greece. That has been my like pin up. I want to go to that destination. I've never been, but it looks really nice. And um, yeah, I feel like that's my number one destination for a vacation. Perfect, Dean. Um, Rocky Mountains in Canada. Um, nice. Been there from summer and winter. And yeah, just love the place and how blue the water is. You know, you look at the photos that you see online and you get there and you're like, yeah, that's right. It is that blue. Yep. <laughs> yep. 
Perfect. Great. Uh, the final one here, and maybe I'll get you to do this for each other. Uh, so the question mm-hmm. is, what do people usually describe me as? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Dean. You can describe Tali, and Tali, you can describe Dean. Let's start with you, Dean. What would you describe Tali as? Oh, what would I say? Um, very bubbly. Um, loves a challenge. And loves a bit of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Tali, what, what about Dean? Um, Dean, I think, I know people have said that you're very, you know, like determined, um, pretty competitive, um, and a great sportsman. Oh. Really good sport. Oh. Look at that. Oh, oh listen and to he it. Loves a lot of ice cream. Stuff. <laughs> oh, look at this. The, the bonding nature on this show. It's uh, taken to a next level. Guys, it has been a, a lot of fun chatting to you both today. Now, I'll give a bit of a plug here. Team underscore Gil underscore Hewitt. People can follow you on Instagram. Is there anywhere else that people can kind of follow? Do you have your own individual ones that you want to share or kind of plug anything else? Tali, uh, go, go for your life. Open Slather. Plug whatever you want. Uh, yeah, we both got our own individual ones. Um, mine, Tali underscore Gill, um, and we also have a Facebook page as well. So, if you guys want to follow us on that? <laughs> Great, Dean. I think Dean, you've got an individual one too. Yeah, I've got an individual of D Huey H E W Y twenty four, um, <laughs> and that's just on Instagram as well. So, follow Perfect. along. Hit up, hit up the gram, everybody. Kind of uh, do it that way. I just, uh, I'm just thinking back to 1984, very famous Winter Olympic pair of Torval and Dean. So we've now got Tali and Dean. I'm sure you guys never get that at all, do you? At all, <laughs> never. I've never heard that actually. I know of Torval Dean, but never heard that referred well, to. It, Channel says. Seven, you can take it. You can take it for <laughs> Beijing because they will. You know they will, and then they're going to run to the hills. Oh, we thought of this great. No, all right, this is uh, an off-the-podium special. But in all seriousness, uh, we are so looking forward to seeing you guys, uh, what you can do for the rest of this year, and get that spot breakthrough for Australia, curling at the Olympics, prove it's possible, do it for Australia, go on, represent, and then win the gold. Bradbury it up on the 20th anniversary (laughs) next year in Beijing. Let everyone else fall over, and you guys can do it. Uh, Tali, first of all, to you, thank you. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you. Yeah, thank you so much. This is like so much fun and we'll do our best to to break through for you and drop a few friends quotes in there as well along the way. (laughs) (laughs) And Dean, uh, yeah, we'll forgive the ice, the jets and the bombers, but uh, it has been a pleasure uh, chatting with you today on the show as well. Uh, Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Can the bombers. And a massive, massive thanks to Tali and Dean there. Great insight, and I'm very excited to see them qualify ahead of Beijing. Big deal, that would be. Massive, massive deal for Australia to have curlers at an officially sanctioned curling event. Obviously, Alberville, it was a demonstration sport, but to have it during when it's a proper sport, and not to take away from being a demonstration sport, you know what I mean, a, a proper medal official sport of the Olympic Games, and Genuine medal chance as well. Fourth World Championships, as we talked about there. So we hope very much so for Tali and Dean's sake that they get there and they bring home a medal because we're going to see that happen. You know I'm generally right when it uh, 
comes to those predictions, right? Uh, next week on the show, we return to the sport of biathlon. Of course, we spoke to Sarah last week. We're back to it next week. Scott Gow, Canadian biathlete, competed in Pyeongchang and is on the road once again to Beijing. Now, he's a world championship bronze medalist from 2016 as part of the relay team there. And Canada, it's an interesting history. You would have heard us talk a little bit about that to Sarah last week about biathlon and Canada at the Winter Olympics. As an Australian, you just assume that Canada's good at all winter sports, that this is a sport that they would generally pick up lots of medals in. They haven't medaled in biathlon since 1994, and a male athlete has never medaled in the sport of biathlon at the Winter Olympics for Canada. So Scott goes into some great talks about his hopes ahead of Beijing, how he got involved in the sport, and a very unique hobby that Scott has that got him very excited during the Olympic Games. So uh, I'm very much uh, excited for you guys to hear that and learn a little bit more about Scott and his unique career and his unique hobbies. That's next week on Off The Podium. In the meantime, if you want to stay up to date with everything to do with Off The Podium, hit us up on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, as well as subscribing to us on all the podcast services to stay up to date to get all of these directly to your devices wherever you are in the world. We, of course, hope you're enjoying the show as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Big thanks to Tali and Dean once more. We'll be back next week. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Ben. It's been Off The Podium, and we'll speak to you then. Good night. Good night.